Just stop. You're embarrassing everybody when you do this. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. We've adapted this over 350 times, I guess, the same stupid concept. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Peter Barely Awake. No, I'm, I'm not even awake. I think I might still be dreaming, to be honest. He dreams of us, Cecil. Yeah. And Cecil Trachtenberg actually has power this week. I do have power this week, yes. Uh, well, we got a foot of snow, and then two days later, the snow was completely melted, and the ice cream man was out. This weather <laughs> is stupid. Weather is stupid. Great quote from Cecil. It is <laughs> stupid. It really, dude, the, the weather this year, I don't know what's going on. Somebody got a hold of uh, Cobra's uh, uh, weather satellite. The weather dominator. The weather dominator. What you guys can do if you want to dominate her is you go to adamandeve.com. I am actually a little ashamed I just did that. But wah, wah. you go to adamandeve.com. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight I wanted to look at what is with adapting the same book, the same source material, the same comic, whatever, again and 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 again. I mean, this is not necessarily remake. You know, we always bitch about, you know, remakes, remakes. But why does the same book need to be adapted every, say, 10 years? And I've often heard the argument, well, you need to bring it to a new generation. And I don't agree with that, because if the previous adaptation was good enough, then you don't need to readapt it. So why readapt the same source material over and over and over again when you're not really doing anything different other than maybe updating it? Some things that make sense for them to update to bring into the current timeline, but that's usually if it a distance between it, if they do something different with it. Like, I kind of thought the Romeo and Juliet with uh, what's his DiCaprio name Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire, and Claire Danes I thought that was at least interesting because it was like they took the old text and they used that but in current times so that was doing something different it wasn't just doing the same movie only now and uh, I think it's just lazy it's like a lot of times uh, when they're doing a lazy adaptation it's like hey uh, we own the rights to this let's just do another version of it and throw a few actors in there and uh, and call it a day and a lot of times they end up going uh, to you know going on TV like uh, the Christmas the various Christmas carols uh, it's just uh, it's a, it's an easy way to slap something together throw up and make a couple of bucks and i think that's really the thing is that uh they're they own it and they're shamelessly exploiting it repeatedly i don't know i mean it's popular source material it's been around forever and it seems to be really accessible it seems to be something that people automatically get and uh, understand the i guess the the um value behind i mean i i i hated the uh the Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet. That's, that's maybe one of the worst fucking movies ever made. Um, but I understand the, the relevance of it, the cultural relevance of it. They wanted to do like 
a nineties version of it. Um, they wanted to try and go for, go for that sort of style. Um, and I think that that goes for every type of story. I mean, you have modern tales of, of Dracula and the, the Wolfman and stories readapted from, from Lovecraft or Philip K. Dick. I mean, I think it all depends on the cultural relevance of it. Like they want to take it and take it and do a modern spin for, for every generation, which, which I think is what they do with everything. They do that with comic books and they do that with books. They do that with old, old poems and stage plays. And, and that's what a lot of films and comics originally were, or even like, urban legends or 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 greek greek stories of like greek gods and and stuff like that that's that's what a lot of things that eventually became comic books or or movies first were i I think it's just it's old stories that are passed down from from generation to generation and their their cultural relevance are constantly tested by every new adaptation that comes out they go well is this still fresh and does it still work today and if it does work in that generation then we'll likely see it the next coming generation too they're going to keep going for it and keep trying because people there's still an audience of people who want to see it do you think that that there could be an element i mean I, there is absolutely an element of laziness in it i agree with cecil completely everything you know, is lazy well well because you know it's a brand at that point if you the think about it everything now is a fucking brand and everything is lazy i mean you have set genres for film some horror films this year. We need some comedy films this year. We need some action films this year. We need to use this actor because he's popular or this actress because she's popular. I mean, everything in a sense is formulaic and lazy and done to death and already used. I think what matters is how you use it, if you can use it in an interesting way and make it feel fresh. Do you think that there is an element of constantly trying to get it right like for an example hp lovecraft's color out of space which is i think his best story that he ever wrote it's yeah, that's a most, really good one yeah it's it's his most i don't want to say out there because it's definitely not i mean it's got horror elements but it's definitely more sci-fi than you know lovecraft usually would get well but, i think it's definitely the most like it seems the most like a contemporary science fiction story which shows how ahead of his time he really was yeah but that that movie's been adapted three times now. Has it? I've never actually seen any adaptations of that one. One is, I can't remember if it's German or Polish, so it's not mm. in English. There was an old, uh, not a silent film, but like a short film, again, European. And then the first Curse movie. You know, remember the Curse franchise? Curse 1, yeah. 2, 3, and 4. Was that meant to be, that was yeah. meant to be Color Out of Space? Yeah, the, well, it's got a giant meteorite that crashes into a field and poisons all the crops. Yes. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the first curse movie, and it's actually credited based on them, based on the story Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft. For some oh, reason, the curse was a better title. Cause I mean, I'm sorry, the Color Out of Space is a great freaking title. I don't know why you would change the title. Well, yeah, it's not like the case of, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep being condensed to Blade Runner, which is a lot more of a, a catchy and punchy title. Whereas the Color Out of Space actually it does sound great for uh, something that you'd, you'd want to be science fiction. The curse just sounds like it might be about a fucking mummy or something. I think it, that was just probably somebody in production who wanted yeah. to condense it because, you know, a catchy short title, you know, if you is just the color out of space, they probably were like, oh, people are going to think it's science fiction as opposed they were like the curse was really marketed heavily as horror because mm. at the time that was what was selling. 
I think that's right. basically all it comes down to. Yeah. But I mean, okay, so that wasn't that re- that accurate of an adaptation. The other two relatively accurate, but they were foreign, so to us Americans, they're not in English, they're in black and white. I can understand why for years now, Richard Stanley has been trying to remake, well, not remake, but adapt Color Out of Space. Oh, that'd be and great. He keeps hitting roadblocks because he says he only needs about two to three million dollars for it, and he can't even <laughs> get that. Well, well yeah. th- th- that's a whole different issue with the state of filmmaking today. Obviously, if Color Out of Space were adapted today, whether it be Stanley or somebody else, they would make it contemporary. Mm-hmm. And I think the strange thing that didn't work in The Curse the most, other than some of the story changes, was that's a story that really needs to take place at the turn of the 20th century. Because mm. modern technology kind of renders the bulk of that story inaccurate. You know, it, it kind of renders it moot. So for something like Color Out of Space, if you're going to adapt that yet again, you do not set it in modern times. And you know that's what they would do. I think you were speculating or somebody else was that the new, that new movie Annihilation might be a loose adaptation of it. I, I have not seen Annihilation, but I've been reading multiple reviews say the last third of the movie is an unofficial adaptation of Color Out of Space. So I'm mm. like, okay, that could be interesting depending on how they do it. I heard it was more of a live action Pokemon <laughs> and I'm, and I'm being, I'm being serious. <laughs> you gotta catch them all. Uh, yeah, they were, they were capturing monsters to use and I'm like, oh, I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't confirm or deny, but I've heard multiple people saying that this is like a live action grimdark Pokemon. Oh, this is just people with no fucking imagination whatsoever. I mean, that, well, that trope is used in so many things, like trying to, well, that would mean that like Jurassic Park is Pokemon. 13 ghosts is Pokemon before Every Pokemon. zoo yes, is Pokemon. <laughs> 13 ghosts is totally Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking the original William Castle. That 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 predated Pokemon then by it like you know forty did. years. Yeah, but well, I mean, you know, I, I can see where they're coming from, and it it does make for a funny thing. I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll see it whenever I I finally watch the movie. Well, yeah, I still need to need to see it. It looks looks great. And I'm, I, I heard it was if it was uh if it was a loose adaptation of Color Out of Space. What about when a story is adapted so much that you just say, "What the hell is going on?" Like. I've never read the book, but my girlfriend's favorite book is Anne of Green Gables from 1908. Mm-hmm. And she loves, she's got all the different TV miniseries and everything. Anne of Green Gables has been adapted into a movie in 1919, into a movie in 1934, a TV series in 1952, another a TV movie in 1956, another TV movie in 1957, a different TV movie in 1958, a TV miniseries in 1972, a TV series in 1979, a TV miniseries in 1985, another TV miniseries in 1987, an animated series in 2000, a TV movie in 2008, a single episode of an anthology show in 2012, a movie in 2014, and another TV movie in 2016. And you ask yourself, do we need this many Anne of Green Gables adaptations? Really? But apparently people like it. The, the, there, there's an audience uh, of, of people that are also like, like your girlfriend that are into it. So I, I guess, yes, yes, we do. But doesn't that get kind of redundant when, do you notice some of those? You're just like, okay, I get it. 1919 to 1934, you're going from silent to talkies. I understand that. But then 1952, 1956, 1957, 1958, you're like, enough. What the hell? 
I've never seen it. I've never read it, but I guess it has a cultural relevance. Yeah, I, I think it's just funny because we were talking about this right before the show started and you're mentioning it and there's all these adaptations and apparently they haven't made enough because I haven't seen any of them. I haven't even heard of it until you mentioned it. So I guess there's an audience for it. It's it, that audience is not me. Apparently. Yeah, there's an audience for it, but it's clearly not us. And that's fine. Well, what about something that is an audience like us, like War of the Worlds? War of the Worlds, the original 18, was it 1897? Yeah. Right at the end of the 1800s is the original novel. Fine. The first adaptation of it, technically, is Orson Welles' radio play in 1938. And I think Orson Welles, that was a proper remake. And I'm not saying that because I'm an Orson Welles fan, because he took the source material and made it into something totally different. And he made it not only culturally relevant, honestly, for today, for 1938 by turning it into a series of live radio break-ins and making it very relevant to the then-coming World War II. When you adapt something like that, because the original War of the Worlds, it's it's very British, you know, it obviously takes place right at the end of a century as you're about to go into a different century. Mm. A lot of people, if they're only familiar with it from the American movies, if you read the source material, you're going to go, the hell, this is totally different. The themes are still there, but it's a totally different story. But then you had, so you had Orson Welles do that in 38, but then you also had like the 1953 movie from George Powell and Byron Haskin. They tried to turn that into a TV series, which didn't work. You had World of the Worlds, the next century, a Polish film in 1981. You've got Steven Spielberg's 2005 disaster. You have H.G. Wells. I wouldn't call that one a disaster. I think oh, I shit, thought it sucked. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> that was horrendous. It was watchable. But I thought it was watchable. Pendragon Pictures also had a 2005 cash-in version. The Asylum had a 2005 cash-in version, which also had its own sequel. You mm. had an unofficial adaptation in 2012 called Alien Dawn. You had a mockumentary by Pendragon Pictures in 2012 called The True Story. You had an animated sequel in 2012 called War of the World's Goliath. The History Channel did an adaptation in 2013 called The Great Martian War. Then you have the things like the 1988 TV series. You have The Night That Panic America, Space Invaders. Tim Burton is very open that his Mars Attacks is also partially based on War of the Worlds. Independence Day is basically War of the Worlds. Justice League adapted War of the Worlds for a three-episode arc in 2001. And then there's all the different radio plays that would come up in the 70s and 80s. And you just go, do we need this many War of the Worlds? And the reason I bring it up is... There's been talk in Hollywood. I think we should remake War of the Worlds again. And I go, yeah. why? Absolutely we should. You know why? Because every adaptation is pretty fucking interesting. Because as, as I stated before, it's always whether it's still culturally relevant. So it's interesting to see if we can do something new with it and something fresh with it. So yeah, I think we're due for another World War of the Worlds. Why the hell not? A couple of things. First off, Space Invaders was a movie that had War of the Worlds in it, like as the the motivation. Like the the aliens were stupid, and they thought that they were they were hearing a rebroadcast of War of the Worlds, and so they were attacking Earth because they thought that that's where they were supposed to go. And so it kind of played off of War of the Worlds. It wasn't it wasn't a straight up adaptation of War of the Worlds. It was but kind it's of still using based that. on it. Perversions of Science had an episode where Jason Lee and Jamie Kennedy are in 1930 in America as undercover Martians and when they hear War of the Worlds they think the invasion 
has begun without them. So they go on a rampage, and then when they find out it's a radio show, it turns out Orson Welles is actually a Neptunian who made the radio show to ferret out the Martians that were hiding amongst them. Right, but it, but still, it, but it's not a straight up adaptation though i mean mm. it's still it is its own thing or or just said yeah it's just it's a goof you know it's it's they were they were having fun with it and i i think that space invaders is hilarious but you just like martians talking like john wayne for no apparent reason yeah and, ja- and jack nicholson mind you tv show was a continuation it was the aliens they went into hibernation and then uh the the 88 TV series and then they they came out and started uh you know uh causing a a fuss again and I love the old series I was sad that it it only got at least it got two seasons I actually liked season 2 better and I know I'm in the minority for that but I I liked the fact that they went all blade runner as a sleazoid for a style for season 2 Oh they went nuts with season 2 it was cool it was different but again I guess with the adaptations it's, uh, you know, hey, we own this. Let's do something with it. I, I think that uh, after the, the, the 2012 one, was it? Uh, what, no, it was before that, wasn't it? The, 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 are, are you talking the, about the, the, Spiel, the Spielberg one was 2005. It was 2005. Okay. I was going to say, I knew it was uh, after saying 12. I'm like, no, I had to be older than that. That one, uh, blew. And I think that um, if they do another one, I know they're just going to do another CG fest. I, if they could somehow recapture the magic of the old uh, one from like the, the 50s, totally love that. But I don't think they're ever going to be able to top that one. That one just uh, is, is amazing. And uh, I think that still holds up very well. I know a lot of people, there was that video you were talking about where they were saying, uh, oh, it's boring and uh, it, it looks dumb. And I still think that the the effects are outstanding and the alien still is creepy as hell even it even has that moment in the in the 53 one the byron haskin george powell movie the alien's hand comes onto her shoulder yeah and, and because of the camera angle you jump to the goddamn ceiling don't you yeah with the little uh little suckers on it it's like oh yes. yeah you're not expecting that and so i think that it has potential to be remade properly but i think that we have yet to see somebody who has the right mind they just hey let's just have aliens attack and, and they'll kind of make it more independence day and i'm not crapping on independence day i love independence day but i think that the two things are they're different it is it is a, a different way of telling the story I, I don't know. I, I know I'm sure they're going to remake it soon. I'm surprised they're, they're not. Or they'll do again, uh, the new popular thing is the requel, which is the reboot sequel where it's, uh, it's a sequel, but it's pretty much like, like Independence Day, uh, resurgence. It's the same movie. It's, you know, it, but it's still following after what happened the first time. And that's like the new, that's the new thing instead of reboots. Mm. We've moved on to requels. Well, what about when you take something that, now this is technically original, but technically not. What about something like The Last Man on Earth? Uh, and I'm thinking specifically Night of the Living Dead right now. We'll talk about the other Last Man on Earths in a minute. Night of the Living Dead, George Romero is very open. Romero basically admits he ripped off I Am Legend for Night of the Living Dead. So in a way, Night of the Living Dead's an unofficial adaptation of I Am Legend. We'll talk about the others in just a sec. Night of the Living Dead itself, okay, so you had the 1990 remake... And then you had Night of the Living Dead 3D, Night of the Living Dead 3D reanimation, Night of the Living Dead Genesis, A Night of the Living Dead. You have the Night of the Living Dead 30th Anniversary Edition. They're talking about remaking Night of the Living Dead again. 
I've actually seen that being bandied about on some of the horror sites. And you go, God damn it, just let it die, no pun intended. Let Night of the Living Dead die, okay? The the 68 movie is a classic, and I think it still holds up. The 1990 movie is also a, a great movie. Have any of these remakes been any good? No, no they really you're haven't. not going to make a good Night of the Living Dead again. Just uh, uh, stop embarrassing yourself. Uh, the, yeah, the 90, the original is great, and the 91 is great, and the thing that makes them great is they're great in two different ways. Quite frankly, because Night of the Living Dead uh, lapsed into public domain, I'm surprised there's not more remakes of it. They're, they're, they're tra- I saw a trailer, I don't know if this ever came out, but they actually got Judith O'Day to come back to make an origin story. It's Night of the Living Dead, like day one or something, and it's all about what happens right before Night of the Living Dead, and I'm just like, just stop. You're embarrassing everybody when you do this. Yeah, let's, let's, I always love the, uh, somebody, I don't remember who, but they had said with prequels, they're making a story about what happens before things get interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, that's see, another we, we, popular, popular trend now. Let's, let, let's, let's make a movie about Leatherface before he's actually Leatherface. That's and he's a pretty boy, was, because and why he was not? Sad emo kid. But then you've got the inspiration, which would be Richard Matheson's novel, I Am Legend, which is a fantastic novel, but that's been adapted officially into The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price, which is relatively accurate. The Omega Man with Charlton Heston, which is not. I, I do think in Omega it's Man's defense... It's a great defense, movie, though. I, yeah, I it, love, it's a great I movie, love Omega Man. but it, it goes into very different directions. But to be fair to the movie, I think it goes into much more... 70s relevant directions so i that understand and, uh, why they did very, it very real threats because the villain says take him to the little room and they take him to a little room and they crucify him guy you know i am legend with will smith which okay any i'm gonna say it right now anyone who thinks that that alternate ending where he lives is the better ending don't talk to me anymore because you're that stupid had a, a lot of potential huh. yeah but, the alternate ending is Holy man, that was the thing when all these people, oh, this is the better ending. I'm like, this ending stinks. Yeah, I, I know. Everybody I, I, I talk to is like, oh, you know, this ending's so much better than the theatrical ending. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It might more be a little more thematically correct to the book, yes. But the movie had not established those themes enough yet because anyone who's read the book knows Neville, Neville, spoiler for, you know, 50 year old book, Neville dies at the end. Mm. He has to die at the end. Otherwise, the book doesn't make sense. The story, the, the, the story is basically this new world of gods and monsters, if you will. Neville has become the boogeyman. They see him as like we would see Dracula. He is going into their homes and killing them at night. They tell stories of their children of, you know, if you're not good, Neville will get you in your sleep. He realizes he has become the villain. He has to die at the end because when he's captured at the end of the book, they are going to execute him to put down the boogeyman. But he commits suicide because he realizes his legend has outlived him. And if they kill him, they will have destroyed his legend. But if he steals that from them, he's still in control. That's powerful. Not one fucking adaptation gets that right. That's what really bothers me. Not one gets the ending uh, right. They're, they're too scared of 
suddenly doing this U-turn where the, the, the character you perceive to be the hero is actually kind of the villain in a, in a weird way. And I feel the like book a does lot of that studios U-turn brilliantly though. I think a lot of studios think their audiences are too stupid to accept that. But when the book does that U-turn, it's brilliantly handled. Mm. You've got all these different adaptations, and none of them get it right. So in a weird way, would I be wrong in saying I actually want an accurate adaptation of I Am Legend? Or am I going against my own argument here? No, I think you're right. I think there there should be another one, because I, I feel like... I, I am legend had a lot of potential in its, in its mood, and I feel like Will Smith did a good job, but then once the actual zombies or monsters or whatever show up, I, I tuned out. Like, I saw no reason why those things needed to be CG. They were just, they were bald guys. Like, what, what the fuck was that? That was, I, it completely lost me, lost me in terms of like any mood or tension, because I knew he was acting around dudes in green, green suits with ping pong balls in their heads. I am legend with, with the CG thing. Like it, it, the, the whole reason why they did them, uh, you know, as, as uh, CG characters and whatnot was so that they could do them doing all the abnormally not human the things. Flipping and all that. Flipping and crawling from the ceilings and all that kind of nonsense. Like you could have gotten, you know, a hundred extras and had them bull rush Will Smith and, and had maybe a few acrobats in there doing some well, things. Yeah, that, get some, it, it's not like, uh, parkour is some unknown thing. Get a bunch of guys that can do parkour yeah i would have been like i would have been more down with that but i mean as far as just so lay on the off season oh yeah but as far as the film in and of itself i actually like i was okay with it like i was really enjoying it up until the family showed up that's Mm -hmm. when the movie took a nosedive when it was him and the dog and he's talking to himself i'm like this is really good Mm -hmm. i you know i could have like i'm with you i could have done without all the uh with it without all the flipping cg zombies but like the way that they did where he's laying in the bathtub and there's all the sounds outside like i yeah. thought that was really well done that was but great then once the once the the lady and her and her kids showed up i'm like oh stop and, and by the way those are not in the book of and, course and in the book and in the book the scene with the dog okay it, one thing that the i am legend movie got right was god that was heartbreaking when he had to kill the dog yeah it's yeah. actually it's actually more sadistic in the book because in the book he doesn't have a pet dog he there's this this random dog that keeps coming around that somehow survived they're they're vampires not zombies in the book they're 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 specifically vampires he the dog is very weary of him and he starts you know putting out food and the dog gets more used to him and everything so he's like all right i'm gonna get a companion yes he even goes and raids a, a pet store and you know gets all the stuff for his new companion and the vampires were playing a mind game with him. They let him get attached to this dog so they could murder it in front of him as psychological warfare. And you that's go, that's way more sadistic and brutal, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And- Although the the way they did it in the movie, though, man, oh, you want to talk like very well done, like just big time, you know, tugging at your heartstrings. Oh, I fucking <laughs> cried in the theater, man. I, I'm oh, not too big to admit that. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. That's what bugs me is that I think that there was so many things that they did right. But then once the, once the woman and, and the kid showed up, it's like, all right, how 
how did they survive this hell on earth, you know, with, with like not being trained and they actually rescue the, you know, Will Smith who's, who's trying his best to survive. And it just, it felt very like this weird, goofy tonal shift where how all of a sudden. How did they end up escaping the, the city? The bridge was out. No, it's not. In the alternate ending, even though the bridges are out, they drive happy they drive ending into the sunset over the, over the bridge. bridge. Yeah, what the because, hell is that? Because you that's why that ending seriously if you prefer that ending to any listener don't talk to me because you are an <laughs> idiot and, and I just 100% agree there, and he's looking at the thing and they did the daddy the butterflies i i literally i'm like boo this tanks are you kidding? i like it better when he grabs a grenade and goes it goes out like a man yeah, yeah. teaches the zombie dicks a lesson but okay what about something like the seven samurai no, Seven Samurai obviously has, you know, been remade into the Magnificent Seven, which has been re- which was just remade a couple of years ago, and it also had a TV series that remade it, and it had a mini series that remade it, and then the Magnificent Seven had like what four sequels, and then technically, I- I'm going to include Battle Beyond the Stars because John Sayles is very upfront that he ripped off the Magnificent Seven, so by definition, then he also was adapting Seven Samurai in space. Seven Samurai is one of those ones that. It is a timeless tale, and it is something that can be adapted to these other genres. And I think John Sayles actually brilliantly put it into outer space, because why not Roger Corman? But at the same time, when they remade The Magnificent Seven a few years ago, you know, with Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington and all that, it was. I just kind of was like, what was the point of this? So they could play rap while they were doing The Seven Samurai, or or while they were doing The Magnificent Seven. I'm like, oh, God, stop. Like, it's just, like, there was, there was zero chemistry between the majority of the cast, which yeah, was crazy. They were all trying to be the star. That's why. Right. They were all, the only, the, problem the only with ones, a lot of f-ing actors these days. The only ones that weren't trying to be the stars and the ones that were actually good were, uh, Ethan Hawke and, uh, the Asian guy whose name, uh, and Vincent D'Onofrio is the crazy bear, bear skin wearing. Oh, yeah. Hunter. Well, yeah. But he was in the movie for like 10 minutes. Well, but uh, I'm just saying D'Onofrio is always awesome. I've well, never seen him not awesome. I've never seen him not awesome yet. D'Onofrio always gives 110% regardless of, uh, you know, if he's in the movie for five minutes or the entire film. But Ethan Hawke and, and the other guy, like, they were really good, but they weren't trying to upstage anybody. It felt like Chris Pratt and Denzel and all them were, they all were like working in their own movie. And they were mm-hmm. like, they were all the star of this movie. And consequently, there wasn't that camaraderie. There wasn't that, that feeling of them all being together, like the, the original Magnificent Seven with Yul Brenner. Well, the, the one with Yul Brenner, not the, uh, well, that was the well, first. No, that, that was the original that Magnificent Seven. That was the original Seven. Magnificent Seven, right. That was, but it wasn't the Seven Samurai. So mm. that's kind of what I was getting at. But yeah, it was, it, it, they had a, a camaraderie there. Whereas this, it's just like, all right, we're all together and we're all going to do this. And it's really dumb. And, and they're playing rap. <laughs> does it does anybody but me remember the tv show with michael bean and ron perlman oh my god no, no yeah, I two seasons that. yeah that lasted two seasons man that sounds amazing. amazing was it was it a western well yeah it was the magnificent seven well no I'm, i was wondering if maybe it was a you know with with those two if they did some sort of like uh you know 1990s version you know where it's like in the city and they're they're like no. a, 
like the A team or something. <laughs> nope, nope. It's, it's, it's still a Western and stars Michael Bean and Ron Perlman because why not CBS? You know, this was when Dr. Quinn was hot. So every network probably wanted a Western. This actually might, it wasn't very good. It, it, I won't get into it, but they had a lot of recycled scripts and st- things like that. It, ah. it just, it wasn't very good. And I was so disappointed because I'm like, Michael Bean and Ron Perlman in a TV Western? Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's not, not that good. Okay. All right. But then what about something like, like Moby Dick? Moby Dick has been adapted officially 33 times into movies or TV movies. And a song and they're, and they're, by the band Mastodon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the, but the adaptations, they're all the same. None of them try to put it in a different setting or do anything. It, it, it's like every actor who wants to prove I am an actor is I must play Ahab. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they're all the same movie. Why does this movie have to have been made 33 times as of this count? You know, I talk to my friend Moby. I say, Moby, why are you always holding your dick? <laughs> my, my, my terrible Andrew Dice Clay impression. I'm actually going back to uh, Futurama there. Is there Miss Queequeg? <laughs> uh i it's i think moby dick is that timeless tale it's the you know ahab you'll get your whale and i think like you said there a lot of times an actor feels like that is what they need to conquer they need to conquer uh moby dick they need to play ahab keeps being done over and over again and i don't know i've i haven't seen the vast majority of them because quite frankly i don't care you know best adaptation Star Trek First Contact. And they even have that as a plot point in it that he is acting like Ahab. Oh, yeah. I was I was going to say uh, Orca. Kind yeah, of is. But, sort of is. Well, it is when you think about it. Yeah, you the, know you're The guy right. goes on a hell-bent revenge, revenge mission to, to try to kill a whale. It's Jaws tragedy also. Well, it, actually, it's the other way around. The whale's trying to kill him, and he bites Bo Derek's leg off. And it's yeah, like, come on, that's it, Bo Derek, man. He bites Bo. De- he bites her broken leg off. So he like he's because <laughs> he spits out the uh, spits out the uh, the, the cast. casts. But you know what though? It they killed his wife and and baby. So yeah. he's yeah. So that that killer whale was like you know Willie was gonna teach them a lesson. Now I'm going to Emmett's fix fix it shop to fix Emmett. <laughs> this ain't over. That whale was Charles Bronson. <laughs> okay. What about Robin Hood? Robin Hood has been adapted over a hundred times. And the only one worth watching is Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh bless your heart! <laughs> I was hoping you were gonna say that. Circumcision half off. Nip the tip. <laughs> oh, I had mine done yesterday. <laughs> but, okay, Robin Hood, he's a boring character. Why do they keep, I mean, like, for okay. Again, for, the only worth watching one is Robin Hood Men in Tights, where he isn't a boring fuck. But this is like, like with every actor wants to prove themselves by being Ahab, every director seems to want to prove themselves by making Robin Hood. There was this script going around Hollywood. It was called Nottingham, and it was the Robin Hood story, but told from the Sheriff of Nottingham's perspective of trying to stop this wanton criminal. And everyone was like, this is so original and so great. Eventually, it got into the hands of Ridley Scott. No, 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 no. I want to make a regular Robin Hood movie. And he, so he made that Russell Crowe movie that nobody remembers exists. That was when he was riding Russell Crowe's dick hard. 
every director out there is like, no, 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 I don't want anything unique. I don't want anything different done. Like, remember the Emilio Estevez movie Wisdom? That's kind of an unofficial adaptation updating of Robin Hood. It bombed. Everyone seems to love Robin Hood, but it's not good. Can you think of one Robin Hood movie that's legitimately good? Robin Hood Men in Tights. I said legitimately. <laughs> that is it legitimate. Is legitimately that's a parody. That's not Hood. the same thing. His name is Robin Hood. The sheriff of Nottingham in it is in it. And you know what? Patrick Stewart is in it, which legitimizes your fucking film. Yeah, well, Christian Slater steals Men of Thieves from Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman. So there. <laughs> As I've said, I agree with Peter. Uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights is the only Robin Hood movie you ever really need to see. Tells this the same story that all of the other ones tell. It just does it in a far more interesting way. Robin Hood actually has charisma in it. It has all the same characters. And it's funny. It's funny and it's action-packed. And you can watch it as a double feature with... Uh, God, why am I forgetting the name? The one with Inigo Montoya, You Killed My Family. Oh, Prin- gonna... Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Yes. You can watch it as a great double feature with that movie. And you know what? That's that's special, too. What about something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers? So, okay, th- there was the novel, and then you have the 1956 version, which for its time was fantastic. Yeah, the ending's a little wonky, but they, that was a forced ending. Then you have the 1978 maybe sequel, maybe remake, and the director, Philip Kaufman, is very much on record that... It's not necessarily a remake. He, it's kind of a sequel. So I guess Kevin McCarthy's cameo is less of an in-joke and more of a continuation. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you have Abel Ferrara's 1993 version, which really changes everything up. Yeah. You've got the, you got the 2007, the invasion. You have the TV series, invasion, and you've got a bunch of unofficial adaptations. And guess what? They're doing invasion of the body snatchers again. Why? Cause it's a really simple simple story you know it's it's aliens taking over people and it's like this this whole idea of you you don't know who's who you don't know if that person's an alien or if that person's a person you don't know if that coroner is jason it's it's a story that, hard everybody, with that comment. everybody under the sun seems to try to adapt everything from the actual invasion of the body snatchers uh, uh remakes and reimaginings to movies like jason goes to hell which stunk to movies like invasion it was it was that one what was the one i think nicole kidman was in it was that the 2007 one yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and daniel craig yeah that mm-hmm. was absolutely an invasion of the body snatchers adaptation it was the same fucking thing with little differences here and there but the general same structure and i think it's just because it's such a timeless idea to to keep readapting because it's 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 the whole idea of well you you don't know who you're looking at you don't know if they're actually an alien or or a person maybe the maybe they just keep making this because you can do it in so many other different ways and so many people have have done it in different ways i mean if you think about it they live is almost an invasion of the body snatchers adaptation because you don't know who's human you don't know who's human you don't know who's an alien Right, but but part of the invasion of the body snatchers trope is they lose their individuality well, yeah, they get to become replaced. part of a collective whole, and they live doesn't do any of that. Well, well it doesn't do mean, that, but it still has has that idea where you realize that everybody around you could be a potential threat. You know, even even the John Carpenter's thing did that, even though that's more of an adaptation of like two different stories. But it's still that that idea that you're being replicated and replaced and then everybody, you know, everybody around you, everybody in in the situation doesn't know who to trust. And I think it's it's a whole distrust idea and, and, and 
implementing aliens into that is a very easy, easy way to do it and a very easy way to adapt it without even adapting Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You can just do your own thing, but this time it's an infection or it's an alien or it's a serial killer's heart. You know, it's, it's, it's really easy to make your own Invasion of the Body Snatchers cake. I don't know why I said cake. Well, but then you also have like with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it doesn't matter what version you've seen. Everybody knows this story. Mm. Look at how the word pod person has become part of pop culture. Anytime somebody acts weird, they're like, what are you, a pod person? <laughs> Some people might not even know that what that's from. And, and they're saying that. When there's this much cultural impact, does it need to be remade again? Uh, for me, when somebody says, uh, what are you, a pod person? I think they're talking, uh, why are you acting like Trumpy? <laughs> but Trumpy can do stupid things. Odd people. Kitty's like a potato. <laughs> Looks like he stepped in some Trumpy Dumpy. <laughs> After he sucks up all the peanuts, he's going to sneeze and pistol whip this kid to death. <laughs> yes, I, I think the, the mind goes right for me. It goes right to Trumpy. And then, uh, and then, oh, right. Pod, you know, pod people, body yeah. snatchers. Uh, like Peter said, it is a, that is a very much timeless tale. It is brought on by the Cold War, where, you know, everybody's afraid that the, you know, the person that, uh, they're friends with or their relatives or a double agent or a secret agent or, you know, in this case, it, you know, they, they replicated that for Alien and, uh, they are not themselves. They are coming in and taking over the, the bodies of the people you know and trust and are becoming something else entirely. Body Snatchers has had a Pretty good record of, I would say, the majority of them have been good each in their own way. Like the original except is, Nicole Kidman, except for the Nicole Kidman one, but that was a pile of crap. But that's why I said the majority of them. But I, I loved the original. I loved the '77 remake because it was, it was fresh. '78, '78. It was similar, but it was still different. It was its own thing. Uh, I loved Snatchers because it was this, it was the idea, but it was on a military base. Uh, I really enjoyed the TV show in general. They, they, each one has brought something a little bit different and has been interesting in its own way, except for the, the Nicole Kidman and the Asylum ones are like the two worst. But the Asylum one you kind of knew was going to be bad. But the Nicole yeah. Kidman one was probably... The funny thing is, the Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig one probably cost as much as every other adaptation combined, and yet it is easily one of the worst. Well, yeah, it was. I remember that one being kind of a blockbuster. Yeah, they dumped Well, them. it was kind of a flop, too. Yeah, it didn't yeah. make money. <laughs> well, but then what about something like, like the old public domain characters like Sherlock Holmes? If you count television shows and television Okay, this one, I'll admit, there needs to be less. Yes. I'm yeah. When you're doing 140. When you're doing Sherlock Gnomes, it's time <laughs> to stop. Remember Dude. Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century with the worst fucking theme song of all time? The cartoon? Yeah. No. Oh my god, that, that was in that weird era where, where the cartoon said, see, early 2000 CGI will look great with line animation. And they would just Holy repeat Holy shit, the, did that not age well. And they would just do nothing but repeat the name of the show in the intro. Wow. Like, it would just keep on saying, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century, Sherlock Holmes in the 20s, and they would do a little break of Sherlock going, Watson? is this theme song and they did this for everything they did it i mean fucking, sherlock holmes what was it I, I, robocop ultra commando or some shit robocop Alpha commando robocop what is wrong with you didn't wow. they get past this with the fucking with the spider-man theme from the 60s but at least that had lyrics but that was a whole other weird time in general but i think i think sherlock holmes is done to death but sherlock holmes it just it's so 
bland today. And, and yes, I, I get it. They tried to update it with the with the Downey Jr. movies, and, you know, made him an action hero with all these weird devices, and you I just kind of go, potential but that's for him? like I like the guy Richie Sherlock Sherlock Holmes, and I thought the BBC Sherlock at least season one of it was pretty good until um until the character really started fucking wearing thin because he's kind of a sociopath in that show. But I guess he's always meant to have been one, but he seems more like an asshole for edginess's sake. But yeah, I, I think they're really, they are running out of methods of making the, the character interesting because of how many adaptations there are. You you have like a an adaptation of something and it's at such a cycle. Like right now, within the next five years, you know they're going to try a Day of the Triffids remake again because they had the Day of the Triffids, the the movie, based on the novel. Then you had the Day of the Triffids 1981 miniseries, and then you recently had another one. And it seems like every 10 years, somebody tries to make a Day of the Triffids miniseries, and you just wonder, is this story really need to be updated every day? never heard of this. What's, what's no, it the, doesn't. Day of the Triffids? Oh, you never heard Day of, of Day the Triffids? No, I don't Where think I have. Not, oh, my God. Carnivorous a, plant. Uh, Land and on the, Earth, and, and, and everyone who sees blind. a meteor shower, and everyone who sees a meteor shower goes blind. So the bulk of the world is blind while crazy plants are running around eating people. Oh God, that sounds awesome! Dude, it's it's aw it is it's awesome. Every ten years or so, somebody decides remake Day of the Triffids. I like Day of the Triffids, but man, this doesn't need to be a deck you know an every decade thing, does it? I'm sure somebody is looking into, you know, it'll, it'll be CG Triffids and, and all. And I know I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's, it, I'm saying it because it's true. They're just going to keep doing the, the same thing. Well, we can update it with better visual effects. <laughs> That's, that remains to be seen because a lot of times you look at stuff and you're like, okay, th- why does this look better? And it was 30 years ago. So I don't know. I think that, um, I could see them remaking it now. But calling it something else because like as uh, like yeah, calling I, it 28 days later, the first half hour of 28 days later is day of the Triffids. Eh, but it, it, it's it's a different thing overall. Like it's it, like every it, like nobody's nobody's blind for one. And it's just it's the rage virus. It's it's thematically like similar and different at the same time. So I think that uh, it's it, I mean, it deals with, t- you know, isolation. There's a lot of things that you could compare to that. But uh, I, I, no, no, no. I, I'm talking about literally the director of 28 Days Later based the opening shots on the opening of Day of, of the uh, Day of the Triffids movie from the 50s. And you can compare them him walking around the city, waking up in the hotel or in the in the hospital in his uh, scrubs, carrying the he he. He, that was an homage. Oh, he, oh yeah, I, I never knew yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not being a smartass. The opening of the first half hour of 28 Days Later is Day of the Triffids without the killer plants. I, I need to watch it again, but uh, it's still uh, it's it's good stuff regardless. Both are good in their own way. Dracula. So now I don't mean Dracula just as a character, but Dracula relatively based off the Bram Stoker novel. There's been over a hundred adaptations. Of course. Do we need more? They're still making Dracula adaptations that are based on the novel by Bram Stoker. And you're like, first of all, you're never going to get better than the Francis Ford Coppola movie. Yeah, that one's... You are never going to. That's a hard one to to top, at least, like, aesthetically. That is such a... I love that movie. That that movie's such a gorgeous movie. When it comes to readaptations, what about when you hit that point where you're not going to make it better? Why do it then? 
I don't know. Either. Maybe there's the chance that maybe it will be. You know, you never know what director is going to get a get a hold of it. And with something like Dracula, they're they're going to keep making stuff like that. They're going to keep trying to do the origin story again. They're going to keep doing vampires. They're they're just going to keep doing that because it's it's an incredibly iconic tale. You know, vampires are always going to be in the market. There's always going to be an audience for it. So whether or not the the quality is high or low. Uh, they're going to keep making those regardless of whether they're ever going to top the, you know, Lugosi one or the Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola one. I mean, to me, the best ones are the, the universal Bella Lugosi film and the Francis Ford Coppola film. I don't think anybody is going to top either of those. I think those are the perfect Dracula vampire films, at least in terms of the, the, the traditional story. And I, I don't think I've seen any that have come out after that, um, that have, that have managed to, to top it, but they're going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter. They're going to keep trying because it's an incredibly popular character with millions and millions of people. Like people love, love, uh, vampires and shit like that. So they're, they're going to keep doing it regardless. Well, at least it's not Twilight. Cause he's dead and loving it. <laughs> oh, that might be one of the worst adaptations ever. That I love Mel Brooks, but when Mel Brooks is off, He's so off, he's not Mel Brooks anymore. And that movie was not Mel Brooks anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, um. Life yeah. Stinks was better than that. Yes, I just said that. It, it, there's a couple of funny bits, but yeah, like when, when Mel, like I love the, like 90% of Mel Brooks, but every now and then just something happens. I'm wondering if, if that was just studio meddling or what, cause it's, it, it just does not even feel like, like Brooks at that point. So. And Leslie Nielsen is just a weird uh, choice for Dracula. Yeah, I guess. I mean, who's he... the actor? Who's the actor that played Robin Hood in uh, Men in Tights? Uh, Carrie Elwes. Car- Carrie Elwes. Which yeah. he was. Um, I just forgot his name, but he was actually a, a good choice for Robin Hood. Like he worked as the Robin Hood character. Oh yeah, he had that arrogance and that swagger to him. Yeah, whereas Leslie Nielsen is like, this is too much on the nose as a parody. Like you can't get lost in it. Yeah, Leslie yeah. Nielsen is like, he's Frank Drebin. You know, he's the straight yeah. guy with all this absurdity going on around him. He was mm-hmm. not, I think it maybe that could have worked if they would have uh, gotten somebody else or maybe if they would have got really like a, a better, I don't want to say a better straight man, but like I'm saying like a, you know, get, get Gary Oldman like again, yeah, but have him in Javier that. Bardem. Well, yeah, Javier Bardem. Oh, God, was he even acting back then? I, I don't know, but I'm just thinking he would be a great Dracula in a comedy because he would be the perfect straight man. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. You could still, I think the, the point is still, still being able to buy him as, as Dracula, which is what would make it funny in this sort of juxtaposition of a comedy. Whereas having Leslie Nielsen in it, as Cecil said, yeah, you're just seeing him as, as Frank Drebin the whole time in a Dracula costume. Is it any worse than Robert Vaughn in Transylvania Twist? Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> he looked so unhappy to be in that movie. He was like, oh, I owe Roger Corman a favor, don't I? Yeah, what oh, am I man. doing? Is this whole adapting, 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 adapting thing going to stop? Do you think the audience needs to put their foot down and be like, you know what? I'm not going to go see another Night of the Living Dead remake. I refuse to go see another Sherlock Holmes movie. Don't you dare remake War of the Worlds again. Is the audience just so apathetic that they're going to be like, ooh, let's see if it's as good, in quotes, as the Spielberg movie. The latter. They're going to go and see if it's as good as the last one. And they're just going to go see it anyway because these movies keep uh, keep making money and they keep putting butts in the seats. I personally would like it if they'd adapt something that hasn't been 
adapted yet. Like, like I know, like Philip Dick gets adapted to the nines. I would personally like to see something other than his, his usual fare. I'd like to see an adaptation of Dr. Blood Money, you know, or I'd like to see, uh, another adaptation of, you know, Lovecraft's, uh, Color Out of Space or At the Mountains of Madness. You know, I'd like to see, well, I guess, that's kind of already the thing, but I'd like to see an official adaptation of it. Something that isn't so blatantly Cthulhu-y or reanimator. Like I'd like to see, uh, an adaptation of a story that hasn't really been, been done much. Um, in, instead of just going to the well and readapting the same one over and over and over and over again, because these, these authors have done other stuff. So it'd be nice to see their other stuff get done. Uh, I would prefer them. I mean, I don't mind, uh, the occasional, uh, you know, another readaptation if it's done with good intentions and it's actually, uh, good. But the problem is the majority of the time it's just easy cash ins. I would prefer them take that money and spend it on things that haven't been done yet because there are plenty of books and comic books and, uh, you know, TV shows and whatnot that very much could be adapted to a movie and would the, you know, at the very least, it would be something different. Instead of doing a Christmas Carol again, instead of doing uh, War of the Worlds again, like I don't, I don't hate it as much, uh, but I just I get annoyed because it's like you know what this was done, it was already done well, it was already done repeatedly well. Why not take something that was not done well or has yet to be done and do that? But mm-hmm. they're not doing it because it's untested. So they know that War of the Worlds has already been a hit multiple times. So if they do that, there's a really high chance that it's going to be a hit again instead of taking a, uh, for example, something from Forgotten Realm and making that into a movie and trying to do that. And, uh, you know, it's an untested thing and they don't know if it's going to make money or not when they really, you know, should be just taking risks. Like that's how you make money. You got, you have to take the occasional risk. They keep playing it safe and they keep making like just enough money to keep going. And it's really yeah. getting old and annoying. I just want an actual Neuromancer adaptation that does not pussify it. Cause the last <laughs> one that they were, the last one that they tried, they even had to change the name of the character because in the book, his last name is Case. They thought that wasn't action hero-y enough, so in the new adaptation, they changed him to Cage. Oh, and God. you just go, all right, if that's what you're doing, then stop. Just stop now. Quit. Nope. Go away. Back off. You don't get to, you don't get to touch William Gibson if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't, no, William Gibson's above your head. Stop it. So on that note, where can people find Peter about to go to work? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, The Cinematicus, Twitter at, Cinemat- at Cinematica. Facebook, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com, um, I've got a new video out. I've got, uh, I've got shirts. I've got things you can spend money on. Spend your money on me. Do it. What about Cecil? Can be found on goodbadflix.com, but usually a better place is goodbadflix on YouTube, as well as, uh, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And, uh, I also have some shirts, but, uh, uh, go buy, go buy Peters. He, you know, he's, he's got, uh, he's got really nice shirts. And I need money. And he needs money. Yes. And <laughs> hey, I, I need money too. That, you know, 1201beyond.com where I can be found is not free people, but you can contact me there or at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above and quit adapting shit. Just knock it off.
Everybody knows the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with the fingers crossed. Everybody knows that the war is over. Everybody knows that the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight is fixed. The poor stay poor and the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows the boat is sinking. Everybody knows that the captain lied. Everybody's got this broken feeling. Like the mama or the dog just died. Everybody's hands are in their pockets. Everybody wants a box of chocolates and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. How it goes Everybody
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.